This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Tech Talk this morning. Very interesting topic of discussion today. Um, Let's talk about tissue engineering and how it's been well, widely discussed topic for around 30 years. Um, just the thought of regrowing a part of your body is, is, you know, is something I find fascinating. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to take up this interview. But like a lot of fields of medicine, there are risks and challenges uh, that might surface. Things like tumors, graft rejection, in which the body outright rejects the donated graft and begins destroying the transplanted tissue or organ, amongst other things. And it's a complicated process. It's costly, it's labor-intensive, but there are other solutions. Let's take a look at 3D printing, otherwise known as bioprinting. It's an increasingly popular alternative that's safer, more cost and time-effective, and allows patients to receive unique implants that are modeled specifically for them. Now, at the forefront of this technology stands Osteopore. They're a global regenerative solutions leader, and their aim is to support the medical community in saving lives and providing cures. The company develops and manufactures implants that mimic the healing process of tissue to accelerate reconstruction and restoration. Additionally, its bioresolvable implants provide a scaffold for bone regeneration, dissolving predictably over time to leave only natural bone tissue. Now, with tr- uh, 3D printing technology expected to grow from $24.7 billion in 2018 to $109 billion by 2023, and given Malaysia's prominence within Southeast Asia as a leader in manufacturing and engineering sectors, I'm joined on the phone by Osteopore's CTO, Dr. Lim Jing. He believes that we are poised to be one of those hotspots for this technology's growth. Dr. Lim, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me on the show. My absolute pleasure. As I I said in the introduction there, this is an absolutely fascinating topic. Can you just give me, um, I I guess, a a brief history of tissue regeneration tech and how it's growing and you know, has grown, in fact, to become a multi-billion dollar industry worldwide and locally. Sure, I'll be happy to do that. Um, So the field of tissue engineering and regenerative medicine uh, in clinical applications, in fact, uh, has been uh, a topic that's been widely discussed for a very long time. Yeah. In terms of its actual clinical application, it has been fairly limited, however, um, due to sometimes the lack of available good technology uh, mm-hmm. that is able to achieve the intended outcomes and the philosophy of what tissue engineering is about. Right. So for a large part of clinical history, we've been looking at using uh, like-for-like replacements uh, instead of going for something that's truly a functional replacement of lost bone or tissues in the body. So the general concept of um, tissue engineering or regenerative medicine is mm-hmm. that we would need to place or replace Uh, the lost bone or lost tissue in the patient's body. And the ideal outcome would be that the patient's own bone would grow back and there would be no more uh, residual material in the patient's body. 
Mm-hmm. So then the patient recovers with their own bone. There's no permanent bo- implants in the patient. And uh, this would then drastically reduce or eliminate some of the common complications associated with uh, permanent implants. Right. And where, I don't know, I, I don't even know how to, how to begin this conversation, you know, on, on the timeline of, of um, medicine and, and on the timeline of, of things like this, you know, are we... How much of a game changer is this, Dr. Lim? Um, I think to us, we feel that this is this is the time and age where we could really apply some of these um, tissue engineering concepts in a clinical application. Mm-hmm. And um, with the technology that we have developed and uh, cultivated over the past decade, we find that um, we are now able to achieve and realize the the philosophy and the concepts that were developed almost three decades ago Mm. and result in better healing and better function of our patients. Mm -hmm. Can you quickly (laughs) explain to me in layman's terms how biodegradable implants actually work? What's the process? Um, yeah, sure. So what basically happens is that um, these are usually made of polymers or in a layman's term, it would be a plastic. Yeah. Um, but these are specially designed polymers that would be uh, compatible with the body. That's the first criteria. Uh, secondly, it interacts with the body such that it breaks down very gradually and slowly over a long period of time. Uh, for our products, it's about 18 to 24 months. Um, yeah. The degradation byproducts are then uh, readily absorbed by the body and they become turned into water and carbon dioxide. So these are completely harmless to the body. Mm-hmm. So that's the general concept of uh, what happens with biodegradable uh, products or materials. Um, at the same time, we will effect uh, tissue regrowth or regeneration into the scaffold um, because of the structure and the unique structure that we've created using 3D printing techniques. Mm. Now, in, in terms of uh, function or, or in, in terms of, you know, where they would be used, can you give me some examples of, of where this technology might be used? I mean, I, in, in my head, I'm thinking uh, smaller, you know, bones perhaps, uh, you know, with, within like the, the eye socket or parts of the mandible. Uh, am I r- reasonably accurate there? Yeah, Richard, I think you're reasonably accurate. Uh, I think more or less we always start from a more, you know, a more conservative approach. We yeah. we treat smaller bone defects and then we, you know, as we expand the knowledge and the clinical experience, then we try to reconstruct um, larger gaps in the bone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as it stands, it has been demonstrated and we, we, we regularly treat um, these uh, round circular defects in the skull. And they usually appear because uh, the neurosurgeon has to gain access to the brain. Right. Um, and we've been successful demonstrating that you can get bone growing into the scaffold using that uh-huh. process. Uh-huh. Um, there's another area where um, it's related to trauma to the face. Uh, so it could be due to traffic accidents or getting into a fight. Uh, right. There's this very thin piece of bone that lines um, just below the eyeball. And that mm-hmm. supports the eyeball. Um, so what happens in, in accidents is that this piece of bone gets fractured very easily. Mm. And as a result, um, the eye is not in the right position. So what we do is we have a bioresorbable scaffold that's 3D printed. Uh, we put it in 
to cover that bone defect and over the next 12 to 15 months, we see bone growing back and the patient has recovered with his or her own bone. What um, would, sorry, mm-hmm. carry on, please. Yeah, so we've, we've also been uh, fairly successful in regenerating very large pieces of bone. Um, one of the more prominent cases is where we regrew uh, 36 centimeters of uh, shin bone for wow. an Australian gentleman um, because he suffered from uh, an, a spontaneous onset of bacterial infection mm-hmm. uh, that resulted in that bone having to be removed completely. Um, so it was a custom design for the patient. We worked very closely with the surgeon to uh, marry the technique of implantation with the design. And two years later, we were able to regrow the entire length of bone and the patient can now walk uh, without crutches. Fascinating. What traditionally would have been used in, in, in place of what you're offering now? Um, there were a few options. Um, some of them maybe a little bit more morbid than the rest. <laughs> I'm already um, imagining one. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the one of the ways we can regrow lost bone in, let's say, the lower limbs, yeah. is uh, to take a piece of bone from another part of the body and graft it to that location. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one option. Uh, the other option would be, um, unfortunately, to amputate above knee. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lack of uh, connection between the bone ends, the foot. That's what uh, I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and of course, there is uh, another, you know, longer process where uh, it's called limb lengthening. Mm -hmm. So what you do is that there is a frame that's placed on the patient from from externally. And over time, you kind of grow uh, the length of bone that's required. But, Mm. you know, in some cases where there's uh, substantial loss, maybe more than 10, 15 centimeters and above, it can take quite a long time and could be very painful uh, for the patient. Mm. Okay, Uh, let's take a a short break here, Dr. Lim. Uh, Folks, I'm on the phone with uh, the uh, Osteopore Chief Technology Officer, Dr. Lim Jing. Uh, They are at the forefront of this technology, a global regenerative solutions leader with the aim to support the medical community in saving lives and providing cures. The company develops and manufactures implants that mimic the healing process of tissue to accelerate reconstruction and restoration. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Bribe Free Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to uh, Tech Talk this morning. Very interesting topic. We're talking about tissue engineering. Uh, We're talking about 3D printing. Uh, I'm on the phone with uh, Osteopore Chief Technology Officer, Dr. Dr. Lim Jing. Uh, They are at the forefront of this technology, a global regenerative solutions leader. Dr. Lim, there's, there's a couple more questions, obviously, I, that I have for you. How similar in in structure is um, your solution to you know actual human bone? Um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question, Richard. So, um, if if the the general impression of bone uh, to most of us is that it's uh, it's solid, it's hard, mm. uh, there are it's non-porous. 
Um, but you know, if you look through the cross section of bone, we would realize and and uh, understand that the most dynamic and living part of bone is very porous. Yeah, and almost like a these honeycomb. Pores, yes, it is, and it's uh, interconnected. Yeah. So it's it's got this intricate network, um, and that's where the most active cells and regeneration happens. So um, in the way that we create our devices, we wanted to uh, recapture this interconnected pore structure mm-hmm. because we wanted to provide a physical environment that the cells would find friendly and conducive Mm-hmm. so that they would grow into it, occupy the space, uh, proliferate, and eventually create tissue, uh, and therefore lead to tissue regeneration. Mm. So that's that's the main idea behind uh, our devices. Of course, we've uh, innovated on that by trying to create a more regular and consistent structure so that we can then control uh, the mechanical properties and also the biological responses from the scaffold. Mm. Dr. Lim... Um have you had patients who have had, um, you know, like uh, traditional transplants and then for whatever reason that's been rejected and then they've come to you with, with your kind of devices? Yes, we, we do have that. Uh, and, 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 and what's the kind of feedback been, you know, regarding one compared to the other? Um, so you see, if we are taking bone from the same patient and just moving it from one location to the other, mm. that is uh, what we call autologous bone grafting. And mm-hmm. that's actually widely regarded and well regarded in the clinical community as the gold standard of bone yeah. reconstruction because it's yeah. your own bone, right? Yeah. Um, however, uh, it seems that the body has a different perspective and a different take on it. Sometimes <laughs> they may feel that, no, this bone doesn't belong here, so we've got yeah. to take it away. Sometimes our um, body is a bit too fickle and a bit too smart. Uh, yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, in some of those cases, what we've done is that um, we've provided an alternative uh, to the surgeon who then evaluates if the patient is suitable for such a procedure. Mm. And then uh, he takes the steps to use the product and uh, allow the tissue to grow back and eventually enabling the patient to recover from the, the bone loss that he or she has suffered. Mm. What's the kind of, um, I, I don't know, I, I guess the market for this kind of thing here, here in Malaysia, uh, how, how popular is it? A, 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 I don't know, recommendation and, and are there a lot of hospitals in and around Malaysia and indeed Southeast Asia that are, that are adopting these uh, practices? Yeah, so I think this is uh, this is definitely a growing market um, because this technology is fairly unique and it's very different um, from what's available currently. Mm. So um, for a nascent market, we approach it with a lot of clinical evidence. We try to provide the surgeons with recommended steps to use product appropriately. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Malaysia, we've had uh, good success so far. Uh, we've been creating awareness about the technology, about its use cases. Mm. Um, we've worked closely with the Malaysian surgeons to ensure that uh, the right product is used for patients and mm. um, enabling the patients to recover well from surgery. Mm. I mean, you you briefly alluded to it just there, you know, with it being a fairly nascent industry. Um, what about the, the, the kind of 
cost aspect of this? I mean, I, I know, you know, 3D printing in general can be can be fairly, you know, cheap as it, as it is. But, the, you know, a lot of these times, this is, this is uh, major surgery. There's a lot of research gone into it. Um, is it an expensive process, relatively speaking? Um, I think the benefit of 3D printing is that uh, the you know, so 3D printing, the, the P uh, sometimes stand for prototyping as well. Yeah. Um, if you compare it to traditional uh, manufacturing techniques, uh, you might have to make a mold and a mold can be fairly expensive. Yeah. Um, so the beauty of 3D printing is that it allows very quick prototyping and hence in cases where they are fairly complex or the surgeon needs more planning, uh, that's where 3D printing really excels. And in terms of making product, uh, I think the same benefit is brought forwards in a sense that if there are new designs, we can always work very quickly with the surgeons to generate these designs. Um, if they fall within certain uh, design envelopes, then it allows us to supply them to the market. Um, and hence, being able to bring technology much closer and faster uh, to the patients. Mm. I suppose really, I, I've, I've just got one uh, final question for you, uh, and and that's what what does the, the the future hold? You know, what insights do you have about uh, the the future of this tech? What might we be seeing in in just a few years' time? I think as the technology evolves and uh, the needs of the clinical community evolve, uh, I think nowadays patients are getting more educated as well on procedures. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm familiar with hearing stories that the patient questions the surgeon and says, hey, how, have you tried this? Have you considered that? Do you think I'll be suitable uh, mm -hmm. for such a procedure? And um, I think there's just this um, increasing desire for better treatment, better use of uh, high technology devices yeah. and um, better outcomes. So um, I do see uh, going forwards that there will be an increasing need and desire for such uh, outcomes and therefore um, the products for example that are placed on the market in order to meet these requirements requirements also need to be improved yeah. and i think that's where uh, we are well positioned um, because we all already have substantial clinical evidence um, for some of our indications and we are more than ready to uh, adapt and grow together with the clinical community in order to provide better outcomes for our patients Dr. Lim, that has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Richard. Thank you very much. My pleasure. I've been on the phone with uh, Osteopause Chief Technology Officer, Dr. Lim Jing. They're at the forefront of this technology. Uh, it's a global regenerative solutions leader. Their aim is to support the medical community in saving lives and providing cures. They hope to develop and manufacture implants that mimic the healing process of tissue to accelerate reconstruction and restoration. If you missed any part of this discussion, go and download the podcast. I recommend you use the BFM app. It's available from the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.